Hello and welcome to the Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the Coaching Podcast. Just before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you all to join myself as I run Leader as Coach. There's no doubt that that is the way of the future. It's a virtual online course that I'll be running on October 11 and 13. It's the last one for the year in the US of A. We'll be covering situational coaching, coaching to different personalities, solutions focused and building accountability to help us achieve our goals in the workplace, in our home life and on and off a tennis court. So please check out the show notes for more information about the course leader as coach with open door coaching usa let's get into today's episode g'day everybody and welcome to the coaching podcast my name is emma doyle and i have the absolute pleasure today of uh, interviewing a friend a colleague and uh, i've known lane evans now for actually many years i can't even remember where we first met lane but i'm sure we'll talk about that at some point he's the yeah. westwood tennis center uh head pro there in oklahoma the teaching pro at the university of oklahoma uh, he supports Oklahoma. It's in the background there. Uh, footy season's around the corner, and he's a USPTA master professional. Uh, he's just an awesome guy. He's a big fan of the coaching podcast because he listens, he learns, lifelong learner. And uh, I'm so excited to talk coaching with you. So, Lane Evans, welcome to the show. Thanks, Emma. I, I appreciate you having me on. I, like I said, you're. I'm a big fan of the sh- of the of the podcast and. Uh, in fact, I was listening to, uh, who was that today? Uh, Kyle. I was listening to Kyle's and I was listening to uh, Pat's yesterday. Uh, two outstanding uh, people and, and, and professionals. And uh, I always, you know, get my little tidbits. I walk early in the morning, work out. So I'm, I'm usually got, got it on when I'm, I'm doing that. So it's great. I love that you you value health and fitness and tennis and uh, combining those. And we'll talk lots about that. But look, let's get into it. Uh, you sure. know, then the first question, Lane, it is the Vegemite question. Yeah. You yeah. either love it, it or you coming. hate it. I knew it was coming. You know, when, when I spoke at the co- coaches conference in 14, I tried it and I'm kind of a foodie. So it didn't resonate with me as something I needed to smuggle home with me. I'll give it a, a, a kind of a sideways thumb. Well, I'm just glad that you have given it a go. I've always loved that about your openness to learning. Uh, so I'll let you choose and then give a story of each. Your best coaching moment and your worst coaching moment. What are some of the lessons? Uh, I think best coaching moment would be a kid I picked up a couple of years ago. She had just moved from France to Moore, Oklahoma, if you can imagine such a thing. She lived near Paris. Mother lived here. She wanted to get her lessons and and help her make her team. And, you know, the, you've heard this a thousand times, you know, I want my child to make the team and play. And long story short, you know, they didn't have two nickels to rub together. And so I worked with her for, oh, golly, it's probably been over well over two years. And I never charged her for lessons. I never tried, got her equipment, shoes, racket, string, you name it. Went through her high school senior year and she did, did very well. And everybody was happy-go-lucky. And, you know, then came college. And, you know, again, they, they, they didn't have the resources to go to college. So it was just going to be one of those kind of, well, maybe I'll go down the road or maybe I'll just work for a while and figure out what I want to do. And she ended up getting a, an offer at the, the 11th hour. I mean, school had already started. So she's at a community college in Alabama. 
she went to the national championships and in the, she made it to the consolation round. She won the number five spot consolation in the national championship. So technically she won a national championship the first year doing it. A cumulative coaching moment. It was bringing her from start to finish. That really taught me a lot about who I am and what it means to give back and, uh, and the value that they saw in it. And we, we speak every week. You know, she's in school now, but she's getting ready to start her second year and, and looking forward to a third and fourth year somewhere. So she will continue to play and, and continue to get her education. Well, congrats. I love that Thank story. You. Yeah, that's awesome. And also just a reminder to, that when we do give back, and you took a risk, you know, in investing in her, you never know what's going to come back tenfold, do you? Right. And I, and I set some ground rules up front. I said, you know, if I sense that your, your heart's not in it, that you don't really want to do it, that you've got this face that looks like you're going to the dentist, we're not going to do this. She never did it. She never buckled. She never flinched. And what about on the flip side? Do you have a coaching moment that didn't go so well that you could share? I have a, a women's 65s uh, 80 team that I've worked with for almost two, almost two years. We drill twice a week. You know, we go over, and you've done it. We, we go over it and over it and over it and over it and over it. And, you know, some days they, they seem like they really get it. And other days they just don't seem to know anything about what I'm talking about. This past year, they ended up making it to the national championships in Orlando. I decided to go with them. Sort of draw this picture for you. It's me and about... 10, 65 and over, 80 ladies going to Orlando, Florida to play tennis. I'm going to watch tennis. They're going to play. One of the worst things I do, it is my absolute kryptonite. It is the thing that gets me the most. I cannot watch my players play. I know that's counterproductive to everything I do and everything I stand for, but I am a wreck watching my players play for Friday and Saturday, I I watched four matches with my players, and they won all four of those matches in super tiebreakers in the third set. We're coming back Sunday instead of going home to potentially play for the for the national championship. And so we we got out there Sunday, and although the matches were very close, again third set tiebreakers, we ended up losing both of those matches, and we finished fourth in the nation out of out of seventeen. Uh, division. So it was a, it was a really proud moment until we got back home. So we got back home about a week later. I got them all together and I got to the court and I said, first of all, I'm extremely proud. You, you guys did great. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm just thrilled that that. Thank you for letting me be there, watch you play. You all know me. You know I hate watching my players play, and so for me to come down there and do that was really a step outside my comfort zone. I said, now having said that. Let, let's talk about what happened now. I said, um, you guys know that one of my biggest issues with teaching them and training them and, and working is, especially in doubles, is the space they leave between themselves and the net. It's way too much. Constantly barking. Get closer, get closer, get closer. Hit better volleys, get closer. So when we got down there and played those third and fourth matches, we proceeded to just absolutely not do anything that I've been talking about for the last two years. And consequently, we, we lost, but we barely lost. So I looked at him and I said, you know, if I had a little basket, just a little basket in my hand, and I had five points in it, just five points, that's all I need. And I could have walked around to your matches and just handed them to you 
when when I felt like you needed one to, you know, at a, at a three all point or a tiebreaker point, we not only win the national championship, we win it by a mile. And they're all kind of looking at me with this kind of like I've got lobsters coming out of my ears look. And I said, now, here's the downside. I said, as I watched you play, you probably had 150 opportunities to win five measly points. It wasn't a horrible moment, but it was certainly an uncomfortable moment. We kind of quietly went back to the court and we started working again. And then after about 10 minutes or so, it all kind of went away and they, they began to understand it. What do you think hold, held them back in those moments to getting those I, five points? Oh, it's a great question. I, I think that uh, the, the right encouragement, the, the right motivation for, for them to do that. I, one of the one of the cues I always, uh, you know, I, I throw a zillion cues out when I when I teach, but one of them is I don't make this stuff up. Okay, I give them the fundamentals and walk them through it, you know, and and tell them what to do, show them what to do, even hold their racket and move it for them. And if and I say if you do it the way, if you do what I tell you to do, the way that I tell you to do it, it'll work. And they get this big grin on their face and they go. I don't make this stuff up. And so I think that's really it. I think the, the motivational factor um, and really uh, the encouragement that, that I can instill in them because they're recreational players. They, they've come from, you know, they just go out to the courts and bang balls around and they get a little exercise, and, but they've never put any real form and content to what they're doing. And so, uh, and again, you know this, it, it, when you go from recreational player to competitive player, those are two very different animals. Thank you for sharing that, Lane. And uh, yeah, we wish those ladies all the best if you are listening. Uh, Lane oh, is yeah. definitely in your corner. All right. The next question is our sliding doors question. When I was at Champion Hills Club in, in North Carolina, and it's a mountain club, it's a very small club, 400, 450 families, mostly a senior demographic. I spent uh, about 22 years as a club manager. I was in charge of running a fitness department, a group exercise program with 30 instructors and you know, 15 trainers. And, you know, I didn't know anything about running fitness programs. You know, I just thought the fitness fairy dropped them off and they went and, and trained people and everybody was happy. And that was the end of it. Well, my club manager came to me. He said, what do you think about doing some fitness? And I said, well, it's not a bad idea. It's not really what I do, but I'm, I'd, I'd like to maybe look at it. When that sliding door opened, I went haywire. I went through every certification that you could possibly get to become actually now a master trainer. We had an old small room, probably not as big as this office, that had a couple of pieces of equipment in it, and that was their fitness center. Well, we did away with that, and we got, got some space over in, a, in a, a building that our real estate office was using. It was a residential community, and we, we allocated some of the space. We got a few pieces of equipment in there, and I started training people in there. And you want to talk about a runaway train, senior demographic, they desperately need it, you know, and in personal experience, you know, a lot of them have physical issues that they're, they're going to PT and then PT runs out and there's nobody there to hold their hand. And so this is who was knocking at my door. And it got to be where, and I'm telling you, people would come to my door, knock on it and go, it hurts right here. What's wrong with me? You know, so so every day, you know, this this was coming every day. So I convinced the club to expand the fitness center. 
So we took another couple of rooms. We built a group exercise room and we made it a little bit bigger. And the problem is we didn't make it big enough. So they're coming out of the woodwork now. Now we're, we're getting run over again. So finally I went back to them again and I said, you know, we, we're, we're not, this is not going to work. I said, we need more room. And I was tracking data and I was, I was figuring out where they were all coming from. And finally, we, we, we ran the real estate office out of the building and took over the entire building. And we, since I was there for 11 years, we moved to Oklahoma and I was there that last summer playing with some of my ladies that I, I had back there, stopped in the fitness center. And the number one thing they said, we didn't build it big enough. That was a turning point really in my career where I became a director of tennis and wellness. I now run Lane Evans Tennis and Golf Performance. I train high performance golfers as well as tennis players. I think it's a nice reminder for coaches out there that the more we understand about the body and how mm -hmm. it moves and the planes of motion and the biomechanics of the body, it really does impact our technical eye and right. our ability also to help people have longevity in sure. being healthy. My training through the, uh, through the uh, IPTA with Mark Kovacs as a master tennis performance specialist and then my training through TPI, through Titleist, um, I'm, at, I'm at level fit, uh, fitness level two with, with the TPI program. And um, they do outstanding jobs of uh, the biomechanics of those two sports. And you're a lifelong learner and advocate. Absolutely. You, you walk your talk in that respect, Lane. Uh, Absolutely. Just a good reminder for all us coaches to continue our education and stay up to date. So, so thank you for sharing that. What about our guiding question, Lane? Uh, in one to a maximum of three words, what do you think makes a great coach? Well, I stole, I stole one of yours and, and one of yours was being a good listener. And that's, that's uh, absolutely going to be, uh, never goes away, never goes away. If you listen to a player and I listen to the same player, you know, at different times and we walk off and we write five things we heard from that player, you and I may come up with 10 things, 10 different things, your five and my five. Um, it, it, you, you just never know. So that, that's really, really, really critical. I think skill, I think skill, you have to be skilled in the fundamentals. And I think that's where a, a lot of coaches miss it. It is really the most important part of it. And you have to understand going forward how to improve your skills to with your improved players as you as they progress you have to progress it's really really important continually educate yourself and improve your your craft your skills on how to teach tennis and i think the the, the other thing the third thing is um patience i have players that are gifts from god and then i have players who are tests from god and they push me to the absolute line. And, and, and something inside my head just clicks and goes, no, you can't, you can't do that. You got, you got to go back and you got to figure it out, figure it out, figure it out, figure it out. So patience is, patience is a big one. I never lose patience. I never, uh, I get impatient, but when, waiting for this knee to heal. Yeah, I'm, I'm impatient. But waiting for a player to get a forehand, I'm, I'm good as, as long as a day as I can, I can wait on. Yeah, patience is an interesting one. I was, I, when you said that, I just had this memory of when I was a young coach back in chapter one. And I literally remember 
correlating children's uh, um, their, their behavior with the wind, right? So when it was a super windy day, the kids were like just off the planet and I was off the planet on yeah. then trying to teach them in the wind and then I would go just stick them at the net and just stick there like this is when I had zero teaching skills but I I had this overwhelm and then and then so even though I'd stick their racket at the net and make it so easy because it was so windy how much it would annoy me when they would swing you know on their volley oh, so yeah. um oh yeah I had a flashback to one of my worst coaching moments um the way that I framed the wind and <laughs> my expectations <laughs> patience i love that thank you oh Mike. yeah all right oh, yeah. what about our final official question where we ask you to ask us a question so what is that one thing that sparks your curiosity one of the ladies that plays with our group and works out with us is uh, sherry cole and sherry cole is a hall of fame basketball coach here in the united states i'm sure you you know she coached at oklahoma and that's a question i've, I've asked of her and and because I'm a big fan, we 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 have season tickets for women's basketball. We don't have it for men's basketball. We, we sat right behind the right behind the bench. So anything she said, anything she I heard, I saw. I asked her one day. I said, "When you see a player for the first time, you don't you know very little about it. I've got a I've got a 14 year old that wants to play tennis, and she's very athletic. And you know, you and I both know that parents see their children." completely different than the way that you and I see them. You know, this is the greatest athlete come along in the last 50 years and, and on and on. But when you go to see a player for the first time, what is the first thing that you look for? What do you look for initially when you're assessing the abilities of a player for the first time? Actually, well, let's sort of tangent there slightly. I want to ask you, what's your opinion of the word talent? Talent should be assessed by multiple sources. You know, if a parent comes to me and says, I have the most talented kid in town, that, okay, great. Let's, let's get a few other opinions on it. Talent is a unique gift. I, as a tennis player, am not very talented. I played college tennis. I, I played a, a little bit of a circuit tennis. My talent level was not high enough to, to really capitalize on a, a, a will to a will to play, a will to win. It, you, you've got to have those three things: the will, the talent, and the and the, and the skill, and athletic ability to really make that picture work. Now, as a teaching professional, I would come back to you and I'd say, you know what? I've got talent for this. This feels very natural to me. I can I can walk out on the court, no matter who it is, where it is, when it is, and I can say, and in about fifteen minutes, we're all on the same page. We're all having fun. We're all hitting balls. You know, after after time, I think you you realize how much of talent you have or don't have. I think if you really self-assess and, and look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, I can do this or I can't do this. You've been coaching for a lot of years now. So I'm also curious. Thank you. That was very polite. That was yeah, very yeah, politically yeah. correct. Uh, at, so least to, at least at least 10 or so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay, least, good. Least multiplied by but uh i mean that in a complimentary way because i'm yeah. i'm curious as i am about the word talent i'm curious about how you have witnessed coaching evolve over the decades uh and yeah what are some of your early observations as a coach to the way that things were done to to how it's done today yeah great great question i, I was very very fortunate to have some great mentors around me coming up coming up the chain 
down in the Southern Division of, of the USPTA, Tom Daglas uh, comes to mind, Randy Stevens, Fred Burdick, and Pat Whitworth, and all the guys in the Southern Division were all great, great mentors to me coming up. Now, some of them are not much older than I am, but um, they're great presences around the game. Uh, when I was a small kid, uh, I had pros around me. Uh, uh, Jim Layton, who was a coach at Wake Forest. I, I remember following him around the court. He had a, a dog named Molly, and she and, and Coach and I would walk around the indoor courts at Wake Forest and, and look at kids play, and, and he would point stuff out. And I've got his book. His book is up on the shelf here. And, and that was just priceless. You, can't, you, you just can't buy that. Uh, Tom Parham, who was at Elon College in, in North Carolina at Atlantic Christian, uh, won a couple of national championships another great mentor. I've got his books. Those types of people are, are extremely, were extremely important to me uh, coming up. Today, we have some great professionals out there. Don't, don't get me wrong. The work ethic to perfect your craft and skills at, as, being, as, it, as, as, it, as it is for being a tennis professional are fading. They're, they're fading. Bless the PTR and the USPTA for trying to um, trying to make the educational standards higher. Um, I get it. I, I've helped work on it. I appreciate it. But the, the, the reality is the kids today are not going to do the work. They, they don't have to. Clubs are willing to let them come in, and I'm at one. So I understand this. If you've got some aptitude for teaching tennis or, or aptitude for playing tennis, you played high school tennis at an advanced level, or maybe you're in college, you're, you're, you're doing uh, tennis on campus or something like that. They'll have them come in and work with the little kids. You know, they'll do red ball, they'll do camps um, and beginners, and that's it. They're making X number of dollars per hour, giving a little bit to the house, but that's better than working at McDonald's. Or that's better than being a lifeguard at the local pool. So. Why wouldn't they do it? You know, and, and as John Embry has said many times, you know, we have to get the, uh, the, the club managers around the country to buy into this educational standard. If they're not willing to do it and to hire top quality USPTA or PTR professionals, then I don't see, I don't see a good way out of this. Um, it, it, it really, again, it comes back to what I said earlier. You have to continually perfect your skill and your craft to, to stay with the, the, the new modern players. The new modern players, you can't teach tennis the way we did 25 years ago. You, you just simply can't do it. The athletes are bigger, better, stronger, faster, quicker. And if you, if you can't stay up with that, you're going to fail. Yeah, and, and also an opportunity for us to inspire the next generation of how exactly. amazing this coaching profession is. Exactly. Yeah. If you do this profession over the long haul and you do it correctly and you continue to learn and you continue to serve and, and you find balance in, in everything that you do. You, you, I, Herb Bullock used to say to me, he's one of my mentors, he said, you always got to give some back to make some. Sort of expanding on this topic of mentoring young coaches, you know, I've certainly, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've come across a number of coaches that, you know, maybe like you said, they're somewhere between 18 to 21. They maybe coach part-time, but they're studying something in business or they're not sure if they want to be full-time coaches, but they're struggling to find their passion. I'm finding more and more young people today. They're like, I'm just 
not sure what I'm passionate about. I, you know, I'm not, not feeling passionate about anything. I'm coaching as a part-time job. If you had someone like that, or I'm sure you have had over the years where you're mentoring a younger coach, how do you help your clients find their passion? I think it's a, a combination of constant education and constant in, encouragement. I try to relate to you know, the younger, the, the, some of the younger kids that are teaching at the, at the club. And I've actually gone out and helped them teach, you know, taught them how to teach. You know, they're feeding, they're feeding with, with heavy Western grips and top spin that are landing near the baseline for a beginner who hit and falls up above their shoulder. And it's just maddening watching it happen. And, it, you know, I, I bring them off to the side and say, listen, their success is going to depend on, on you, not them. You've got to set this up for them. It isn't about you. I try to mentor when I can and, and try to relate. We don't see the world the same way. But at, at the end of the day, there, there is a right way and a wrong way to do this. And, and if, they if they really want to do it, um, and I'll say that, if you really want to do it, I'm here. I'm here. I'll help you. I'll, I'll help you do anything you want. The mentoring never stops. What's coming through in this episode is the importance of contributing and giving back and being in service to the sport and to the people that right. we coach and to the young coaches coming through. Uh, based on what we're talking about, it's extending this theme, is the lesson approach broken? Expanding on my own thoughts around it, when I watch a lot of lessons, the way that it's taught isn't the way people learn today. So it's still, you know, drilling at the start, then we'll play a fun game and yeah. then, we'll, then we'll hit some serves and we won't right. do any returns. And then I'll never watch you play uh, or see you compete. And right. then you come back to me next week and you basically never get any better. You yeah. might get a good workout. So that okay. I'm not saying it's, you know, uh, but it, it's an interesting question. I'd love to hear your take on that. I would, I would uh, agree that it is somewhat broken. I'm, I'm, I'm what you call a, uh, I'm a club member's tennis professional a player's tennis professional in that I rarely basket feed. I'm usually live balling with anybody that can hit the ball back. Now, if there's a specific movement or a, a specific thing I need to focus on, I might come around and do a little progression where I will drop feed, hand feed from a short distance, hand feed from a little bit further back, work to the net, but eventually I'm going back quickly to, to live ball. I may even use... Uh, some orange balls and green balls to slow it down because I want it to be as realistic as possible for them. And I think they will, I think they will appreciate that. And, and I think it, it's a little bit more applicable to actually playing than, than just this setup thing. I always incorporate returns of serve. I, I never leave that out. We, we serve, but we don't, we don't spend a whole lot of time on it unless we, we need to. Every person is different. So I can't come with this generic model and, and use it on every single person. Is it the lesson broken? It, it is, it's fractured. Let's put it like that. It is fractured. Um, and I'm not sure, again, we go back to our, our younger pros coming up now. It's, it's really going to be up to them to, to heal that fracture. And so uh, the combination of the mentors and the mentees, that, that's got to come together. That's got to come, that's got to meld together. And so we have smooth transition from one to the other. Purpose. I love the word purpose. Um, 
uh, and a sense of purpose for the, the player and having them create the purpose as well is, is one of my core philosophies. So thank you for sharing that, Lane. Yeah. Look, let's, let's, um, let's wrap it up with your okay. original question for the coaching podcast. What do you look for the first time a new player comes to you? Well, one of my, you know, I, I always ask pros when I do, do certain presentations, one is the 25 ways to teach better lessons, is what is their coaching philosophy? I know you've asked that question a zillion times. But more in terms of when they go to watch a player for the first time, what are they really looking at? Now, you can pick 10 things. You can look at eye-hand coordination. You can look at lateral movement. You can look at flexibility. You can, you can look at all kinds of things. The swing patterns. I mean, you can really break it into rocket science. Mine is always uh, movement. And it may go back just because of the fitness part of it. I look for uh, smooth transitional movement, uh, lateral movement in particular, because that's when we focus most on. And I always tell players this, position is everything. And, and that's not rocket science. I'm sure everybody out there goes, okay, well, that's, that makes sense to me. Position dictates everything. If you have good position, you will make good swings. When I work with players, beginning players up to my, my higher performance players, this is where we live. When I start off with players, I put that mindset to them right out of the gate. But footwork dictates everything. We work from the ground up. And, and that's never failed me. Love that, Lane. And, uh, and throwing in my thoughts around that is two things that came to mind. One is I love ex expanding on just questions when I first meet someone. And especially with a junior player, you know, do they look to their parents for the answer? You yeah. know, what are, you, what are your strengths? And then they look over, you know, like like they're not quite sure if that's what their strengths are. I, I find that the way they answer those questions fascinating. And one of the other things that I love to do is just a little service box game where I preface it and say, you know, we're going to have play a little competition. It's one point only. Uh, and it's one grand slam, whatever your favorite grand slam is, if, if they know, you know, Aussie, Aussie, US, French or Wimbledon. And I just let them know that I've never lost this game ever in my life. Um, just, you know, one ball, just in the service box, you can do yeah. anything you want. Mm. And I love just seeing that competitive spirit. You know, what do they do? Right. How do they play that game? It's just in the service yeah. boxes. I'd love to see that competitive, just to see where that's at and how they respond yeah. after the point's over. Uh, so I'm not sure I'm not sure what tour player said it, but but there was a tour player, that a high-ranking tour player that said, if you can master short court, you can do anything you want to do on a tennis court. That's that's really that's really key that that that, mm. that, that you do that. That's good. Mm. So listen, Lane, uh, I really appreciate your time. No, Thank my you. pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, listening to the coaching podcast and being one of our loyal supporters. Uh, and I just, yeah, I love every time we get a chance to catch up. I always learn something. So thank you Good. for being on the show. Good. Thank you, Emma. Hope to see you soon. Absolutely. Bye everybody. The coaching podcast is brought to you by your energy and high performance under pressure coach, Emma Doyle. Emma potentiates individuals and organizational teams by harnessing their energy, discovering their purpose, and achieving high performance under pressure through adopting a curious, championed mindset and proven coaching tools that unleash human potential.